You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, hello. Welcome to the GFR show. If this is your first time with us, welcome, welcome. Today's guest may have brought you here and that would be understandable because she is a powerful, powerful woman. Her name is Zarina El Amin and she is an award-winning anthropologist. She's an author coach and her work revolves around helping clients create culture change through books and also through global experiences. And she's been featured in prominent media. She has worked for several universities and she's also a mom of three. And she and I met several years ago when she joined a program that I was a mentor of. And she was in a group with two of our more recent guests, Dr. Venus Opal-Reese and Dr. Veronica Anderson. It was the three of them who were all women of color. And I really learned so much getting the opportunity to be their mentor and to sometimes just be a fly on the wall of their conversations. And she was considered the baby of the group because at the time she was, I think, 34 or 35. And even though she was the youngest, she was by far the wisest, (laughs) I think. And you will see why. Even though she talks about a pivotal decision that she made, she calls the dumbest decision of her life. (laughs) Let me ask you too, before we really dig in here. What is the dumbest decision you've ever made in your life? Like, really think about it. Like, what even comes to your mind initially when I just say, like, what's a dumb decision that you've made? I think it's a really actually fun question to answer because it's not something like I don't often judge my past decisions as dumb. And I do believe everything happens for a reason. And gosh, if there's anything more apparent from the stories on this show shows that it all has a purpose. But that word dumb is kind of it's kind of I don't know, it feels like a little bit silly, a little bit lighthearted. Um, And when she says it, it just doesn't sound judgmental and dark. Like I didn't even like jump in to be like, don't call it dumb, you know, because it was just (laughs) it was so candid. And, and then she really goes on to share why she thought it was the dumbest decision she ever made. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to share what it is because I, I want you to get the whole context of her story, but I will tell you that when she turned 40, so she's 41 now, um, when she turned 40, which I learned is a sacred age in the Muslim faith. And it, it is where you 
they believe become like a full fledged adult. She said she couldn't wait to turn 40 because she knew like this was, you know, when I'm going to be like the wisest. And um, right around that time, her mother was diagnosed with stage four cancer, died the next year. And right around that same time, she divorced her husband of 14 years and moved in to care for her father, who she now is still caring for, who has stage four cancer. And our conversation is so wide reaching. She talks about how travel is the thing that has helped her learn the most about herself. How her first trip out of the country was actually, no, it was her second trip out of the country was she moved to Egypt right after college. And she dated a Serbian refugee who was in a different caste than she was as a English teacher from the States. And what an like eye-opening experience it was for her. I mean, I could just go on and on about this interview. She has many more stories like that. She like lived in Sierra Leone right after their 10-year civil war ended. <laughs> and not to mention she's a mother of three, which is just anyway, y'all. <laughs> and she calls herself Z. I cannot wait for you to meet Z. Zarina. You're on the GFR show. I'm so excited. <laughs> no, finally, I'm here. <laughs> woo, 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 woo. <laughs> oh my God, y'all. I wish you could see Zarina. Oh my God. From the moment Zarina entered my life, it got more colorful. I have to tell you. <laughs> she is wearing like a beautiful you. headscarf that I'll let you describe because I'm sure there's technical way to describe it and a bright red shirt. And then she always has amazing earrings that she's gotten from all over the world. I'm sure. Where are those earrings from? These are from Senegal, I think. Okay. They're yeah. amazing. And then these awesome wide rimmed glasses. <laughs> you just look fabulous, my dear. Reflections of you, Lisa. Reflections of you. Ah, Ah, you're so sweet. <laughs> you shouldn't have. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm super excited to have you on the show and just y'all, it was really funny because I was uh, asking Zarina a little bit more about sort of like, where should we start the story? And she started to tell me stuff and I said, wait, wait, let me just find out for the first time, like on air. Let's just, let's just stop, stop, stop. So uh, y'all heard in the intro that I got the privilege of being Zarina's coach and mentor for a while, a few years ago. And that was, I just... It's just amazing. I learned so much. You know, her thing is all about helping people appreciate culture. And I for sure learned so much just being around you. I'd like to talk about like sort of where that all started. Like how, how did that passion, you know, where did that all start? Yeah. Well, first of all, hi, GFR. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. But, you know, I'm a cultural anthropologist, but it started out. Is that your degree? That's your degree? That's my master's. My master's is in cultural anthropology. Wow. And my undergrad, though, is in computer science. So I, have <laughs> I did not two, know that. That's so funny. Yes. Two totally different sides of the brain working. But well, um, and that, I think that kind of sums you up, though, because you are like you have this technical, organized, systematic brain. And then you're just like a woman of the world with like that flows with. <laughs> The rivers of the world. It's just, yeah, that kind of sums you up. <laughs> it is. I'm just weird. That's just put it like that, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, well, it's a lot of I don't even. We, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could use that word. I, I guess, but like everybody in my world is so fucking weird that it's like <laughs> no one gets to say they're weird because it's all weird. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, you can say you're weird. weird. I, I'm sure that's 
that I think for many of us that are weird, that was part of something we needed to embrace at some point. So I yeah, do. you're right. You have to embrace the things that make you a little bit different, but the things that bring you joy and, you know, it's the authentic side of you. But yeah, you know, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and Detroit is a predominantly all black city, you know, predominantly black, I should say. But my upbringing was kind of cultural because of my Muslimness. So my parents were Muslim. They raised us Muslim, which meant that we had friends from Pakistan, friends from Iran, friends from Iraq. You know, we had friends of different cultures. But growing up in a Black city, like you kind of grow up loving your yourself, but not necessarily always being exposed to a lot of different people. You know, it's not like a multicultural high school or anything like that, right? When I went to college, I went to Howard University in D.C., and I went and I did the undergrad thing that you're supposed to do, right? Like, you know, they tell us, Zarina, go to school, get a good grade. And when you graduate, find a job with benefits. And so that was the path that was instilled in, in me, like most middle-class people, right? Like, that's what you're supposed to do. Yep. But when I got to Howard, like something kind of like clicked inside of me. And I started to have this big yearning to see more parts of the world. That was the first time I went to um, Switzerland. That was my first international trip. And when I went to Switzerland, it was the mountains. It was the, the air. I was like hooked. I was like, oh my God, I'm a person of the world. So Lots of white people though, I'm sure in Switzerland. white people, but I'm cool <laughs> with that, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I flow anyway, so I'm cool. Great. So it kind of unlocked something in me that wanted to just see more places, meet more people, do new things, all of that. And so when I came back to school, to college, I was like, oh my God, I'm stuck in this degree. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Because I was stuck at that point. I was already in my senior year. You know, wow. you're not going to change your major at that point. You know what I'm saying? Like, that would be dumb. That would be very illogical. Yeah, exactly. Like, who's going to waste all that money? So I decided, though, in my senior year that I was not going to take any of my job offers in computer science, which is like sacrilegious. Yes, then, everyone's calling you crazy, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, they were like, that was kind of dumb. You know, you went to school <laughs> this time you got these big money job offers and you're going to turn it down to do what and I was like well I'm going to go teach English and they're like uh <laughs> that doesn't sound like no money Z that sounds like you're gonna be broke and I was like yes I'm broke in money but rich in spirit you know so but that was really like the change I decided that I was going to go and I, and I went to Egypt and I lived there for a year and I studied Arabic, I studied, you know, culture, I started going through all the world markets. And from there, my whole life pretty much changed because I learned so much about the world, but I also learned so much about myself at the same time. So that's kind of, you know, the, the impetus, the start to this new life that I have now. Do you think that learning about the world was like, do you feel like the opening that you had around learning about the world was a necessary gateway for you to learn about yourself? I think that every time I get the opportunity to sit down with somebody that's a little bit different and see how other people do this thing called being human, I learn more about humanity. But yeah, I learn more about the way that I choose to be human. And it makes me recognize how I make certain decisions, why I make certain decisions, how I believe certain ways, why I believe, you know, like when I see other people doing it differently, then it makes me check why I do things the way I do. And if the things that I'm doing are authentic to myself, 
meaning are they useful are they serving me or are they just things that i just picked up along the way and they've just been instilled in me through the culture that i'm in and so i feel like every time i get a chance to step outside of myself it's like putting a magnifying glass onto my own personality my own ways of doing life and then then having that space to do the introspection and making adjustments if necessary. You know, I may meet somebody that has a new way of looking at something. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, I never really thought of it that way. And then I may choose to adopt that way of looking at it because it serves me better than the way that I knew up to that point. You know what I mean? Yes. And I like your definition of authenticity. Uh, is it useful? And like, is it authentic to me means is it useful and is it serving me? Yeah, yeah. Because I think a lot of times all of us get caught up though, right? I mean, we're human. So you get into the culture that you're born in and you start to absorb certain beliefs and ideals and things that you get seeped deep down into your way, but you don't necessarily know, like, why am I doing it this way? And did I make a conscious decision to do it this way? Or was it just the way it's supposed to be done or whatever? Like, you know, quote unquote, the way it's the way. So yeah, you got to kind of have that space to be authentic and, and allow yourself to dissect the truth of it all, you know, yes. and which way is it going? Yeah. It's interesting to hear you talk about how or the sort of like the gateway that you use cultural and new cultural experiences, new experiences, a way to do that. And I'm thinking about myself and how I have this sort of habit of just questioning all the things, <laughs> you know, as you know, <laughs> you know, I'm just sort of like, I, you know, does it have to be that way? Or why are we thinking that way? Or why are you yeah. thinking that way? And as you know, I, I had a, like a 10 year period in non-monogamy. And of course that was like a huge questioning of like, you know, the right way and the way everyone says it should be. And, and I, you know, my husband and I used to just geek out on how much of a rebel, how rebel we were being, you know, because, you know, it just was, so radical and fun to to let go of the rules and then find our own way you know really because i for sure had knew nothing about anything else than you you meet somebody and you get married and you have kids and you you know like nothing else was really right. there i didn't i didn't explore i don't remember really exploring my sexuality i don't remember exploring my gender identity it was just sort of where i went so i really I feel like I get you, <laughs> you know, get where you're coming from. And, and I love that you use the study of the world to do that. Yeah. So you made, uh, you mentioned that when you went to Egypt is really when you started to kind of like question things can, and, and learn about yourself. Can you remember one of the highlights that you learned about yourself during that time? Mm. Well, Egypt, first of all, I had this, I, I met this guy there <laughs> <laughs> who became my fiance. That'll do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, he became your fiance. Okay. He became my fiance. So we were in, engaged while uh, for for some time. He was Sudanese, and that was a thing in and of itself because I had two lives, if you will, when I was in Egypt. Egypt, of course, is in Africa, right? But a lot of times, Egyptians often think of themselves as different than right. quote-unquote Africans, and especially Sudanese. So he was a Sudanese refugee living in Egypt. And, and class and all of that, like Sudanese refugees were put on a very low totem, on the lowest area on the totem pole, right? So when I was going around with my fiance and his friends and I was teaching English to these Sudanese refugees, 
and I'm walking around with my brown skin, right? I had a whole different life. I remember sometimes I would walk through the market and somebody would call out like Asmara, they would call out like black or they would call out like slave and this and this, right? I'm literally walking down. And every time, because my Arabic is not good at all, you know, there would be things that they would say that I wouldn't catch. I wouldn't pick up on it, right? And so I would have to ask him, like, hey, what they say? And so then he would tell me, you know, what they said at that point. Now, juxtapose that to my life as this privileged English teacher at one of the schools, right? One of the English schools that they're paying money for. And right. I'm the only American teacher, but everybody else, they were all white teachers from South Africa and then the others were all from Europe, right? And so when I would go around with my peers from the school, <laughs> it was two totally different Egypts, I swear. Wow. It was like two totally different Egypts. And that makes you think, right? It makes you think a lot. I'm the same person. I look exactly the same. I'm dressing exactly the same. But depending on who I'm with, it's how people receive me and then how they assign value to me. So I learned a lot about racism. I had to go to Africa to learn about racism, right? But I learned a lot about racism. <laughs> <laughs> I learned how I deal with conflict, how I deal with people when they're saying things to me. So it was a, it was a great time, but it was also at a point where I was just like, I'm out of here. Really almost just at the year mark, I was like, okay, I'm done. Like this, this served this time, but it's time for me to go. And then I left. Yeah. Wow. So interesting to hear you talk about your experience, you know, through my deep dive into my unconscious racial bias and, and my transformation in that area that I'm still very much in the group that I'm studying with, I'm, we're reading, uh, or I'm listening to the book cast by Isabel Wilkerson. I don't know if you've, you've read it, but I haven't read it yet. It's really, really fascinating. And as a Jew, a big part of what I am learning about in, with that book is how much what happened in the United States impacted Germany, not the other way around. Um, mm. And Hitler and how he learned from us kind of some of the shit that he did there and growing up. Uh, uh, you know, growing up Jewish and going to Hebrew school, you know, we just learned like, you know, Hitler, bad, horrible, that happened in Germany, you know, that, you know, over there, you know, there, that right. was just horrible, you know, not kind of all of the atrocities that were happening here over a much longer period of time. And, and part of, sorry, I went off on a tangent, which I do, because I'm so passionate about what I'm learning right now. But the thing that I, you know, cast is all about the hierarchy that uh, is assigned in different parts of the world. It's everywhere and, and how different parts of the world have different caste systems, India and the United States and, you know, all over. So that's what I'm hearing. It's like you were kind of straddling two castes, you know, while you were there. And that must have been a really interesting uh, and eye-opening experience. It was definitely eye-opening. And also I recognized that my parents, when my parents came, they came to visit. First of all, they didn't come until I said I was getting married. And when I said I was getting married, they were like, <laughs> oh, over. Well, that was my <laughs> next question. What happened to the fiance when you decided to leave? But we'll get there. We broke up after a while because cast it's like no but no it wouldn't yeah. have worked out but that wasn't really the real issue it, it was some other things but it wouldn't have worked out but when my parents came right so my parents are black american my father is six six tall dark skin right he's he's dark skin my mom is like a regular 
brown skin. I won't say regular, but you know, like a brown skin, browner, right. lighter brown or whatever than my dad. But you know, if you were to look at my dad without his dress or whatever, you wouldn't necessarily know where he was from. But what I noticed when my parents were there was that when they were walking around, like they didn't get, they didn't understand that some of the things that were being said to us, right? Like I kind of understood at this point, like the cast and how certain groups were on certain levels or whatever. So I remember, for example, we were traveling. They wouldn't let my fiance stay in the same hotel room with my father. We were going to get one room for the women, one room for the men. They wouldn't let my fiance stay in the same hotel room as my father because they said they had to protect the tourists from, wow. the, from the refugees, right? Wow. So this is a big deal. Like you're like, what? Like, oh my God, he's human. He's with us. He's traveling. He's our friend, you know, and they would not let him stay in the same hotel room for protection of the tourists we were yeah air quotes is what are happening here with with the word protection yes air quotes like y'all can see but you know what i mean protection of the tourists so you know i'm just saying that like there are so many things once you start to get outside of your your regular comfort zone your regular routine of life and the spaces that you're in and you get outside of that you see how other people relate to you, how they react to you, and then you can dissect and learn a little bit more about humanity as a whole. Yes, yes, yes. Amazing. At the year mark, you are clear, you are done with Egypt, yes. and you come home. Yes. I came home to the States, and then I was like, what am I going to do now, Z? Like, what you going to do? So, <laughs> Z, um, what you going to do, Z? <laughs> I knew I would not go back to my corporate, you know, career in computer science because even though it was great money, it just didn't fulfill me anymore. It wasn't going to work for me. And so I don't remember how I found out about this job, but somebody asked me to do some work in international development. So I remember going in, it's an international development organization, NGO, right? And they were based out of uh, Iraq, but they had field offices in Sierra Leone, West Africa. And if you've ever seen the movie Blood Diamonds, or you've heard about the diamond mines and such in West Africa, you know that there was like a 10-year civil war in Sierra Leone over control of the diamond mines in part, right? And so I was stationed to go to Sierra Leone right after the war ended, about a year or so after, maybe almost two years after the war ended. And my job was to go there and revitalize all of the orphan programs. There had been some orphan programs. And of course, you know war. So when you have war, you lose parents, children become orphaned. So there were a lot of children that were orphaned. And so my job was to go back into the country, kind of revitalize the the programs on the ground. And woo, I tell you, like I was supposed to be there, like the giving, right? So I'm the American coming in with the money, with the finances, walking around with the position, all of that kind of stuff. First of all, I'm young. I'm like 23, maybe like 23 or something. And some of my staff members are like 60, you know, <laughs> so there's that dynamic, but I'm supposed to be coming in and like, you know, being the giver, but I received so much more in that line of work. You know, I learned about forgiveness because the people that did these atrocious crimes and things like, you know, in the community, there was a lot of amputations, all kinds of stuff, right? Like they had a system for bringing these people back into the community. And I couldn't even imagine, like, dude, like, you cut my sister's arm off. I'm supposed to, like, see you and be able to walk in the community with you. 
few like no but they had a way of radical forgiveness I would say wow. and also like radical resilience I was looking around like oh my god I don't know how y'all are doing this I just don't get it so I learned a lot there and I should say actually you know Sierra Leone there was these two girls outside of my office building and every day they would peel these oranges, right? Like they would peel oranges and sell them. So if you imagine like some girls peeling oranges and they would just pile them up into a triangle of oranges and they would just sell them. So the okay. oranges there, first of all, you don't peel them like American oranges. You have to use a knife and you peel oh, okay. it with a knife. And so then that's why it was a big value to have it peeled for you. <laughs> exactly, right? Got this it. Is why it's not just like, oh, they peel an oranges. Now you have to use a knife and you kind of like squeeze the orange and drink it like juice instead wow. of eating the pulp and all of that. So anyway, these little girls were outside every day of wow. my office building. And I remember I said, why are they out here every single day? Like, why don't they don't go to school? Like, what's going on? And so I learned that those girls had to participate in the economy of their family. So they had to make the money. And that's why they were not in school. And their parents and the grandparents didn't have money to pay for their school fees. So I was like, okay. Well, if we were to cover their school fees, would they allow them to go to school? Because even if you cover the school right. fees, that's now they're not selling the oranges no more. So they're losing that money. So we negotiated with the parents and the grandparents. And they said, yes, that they would allow the girls to go to school. And so I started sponsoring those two girls. And then I called home and it was like, hey, mom, brother, <laughs> hey, like, you know, we need to sponsor these girls, blah, blah, blah. And so we started a small scholarship fund for school fees in Sierra Leone that continues to today. So that was like 16 years ago. Oh my gosh. That was like 16 years ago. Yeah. So since, dang, good God, I'm getting old. That was 16 years <laughs> ago. But yeah so we that's still amazing have, and just as a curiosity how much it how much how much is it to sponsor when we started i think it was like 200 a girl for a year or something or wow. for like a semester i want to say it was either a semester or a year at that point and now we are at we do some other things now so we also do the school but then we also give like extra shoes and stuff like that but for like you know less than 300 dollars for someone you can really, you can literally change their entire life. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So, so how long were you there for? I used to go back and forth, back and forth. I worked there for about a couple of years, but I stayed some months, then I would come home and then I would go back and, you know, so all of these types of things like really started to connect me to the world. Also teach me how to travel in the ways that I like to travel. You know, I like to be on the beach and chill and I like resorts and all of that. And I do do that, but I also like to be able to see the people and learn more about the culture and the history of the places and you know, meet the artisans and all of those types of things and just learn really, honestly, as I say, just learn more about how people be human, like how they do this thing called being human. I get off on it. It's like a drug, really. I, and I, get I know that about you. <laughs> yeah. And when I don't do it, I, I feel like I'm going through withdrawal. I get the shakes like, I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> When did you meet your husband? How long, like, after yeah. this? Yeah. Ooh, so now you want to go into, like, how I got withdrawal, actually. Because this okay. was one of the dumbest decisions of my life, really. It was really not that smart. But so, as you see, like, this was my life, right? I was international, all of that. I was in yeah. Sierra Leone. 
I was single and I remember I made this prayer one time on the plane. You know, you're flying in the air and you're looking out over the clouds <laughs> and you just have that little feeling like so connected to the world and so connected to God and all that. And I remember like, oh God, please let me get married. Let me find the man that's for me. So I said this prayer. I remember like saying this prayer, looking <laughs> out at the clouds. And I got this Yahoo message from my mom. <laughs> we didn't have all the stuff that we have now, right? But you had that Yahoo messenger. Right, and right, right. she was like, somebody wants to meet you. You know, somebody wants to introduce you to meet this guy. And that ended up being my ex-husband. And so I was in Sierra Leone at the time. And I was like, you know, I was like, oh, I'm all the way over here or whatever. Yeah, so we ended up meeting and we got married. He was doing his doctorate in psychology and I so stupidly put my international life that fulfills me, that feeds me, that is a part of me <laughs> to the side and tried to adopt the normal middle class. Well, we were grad students, so we were cheap, we were poor. You know, he was a grad student going for psychology, but I tried to adopt the regular I guess, you know, middle-class life. It lasted for a little while. Then I started getting the withdrawal shakes. Like, oh, this ain't good, Z. Like, this ain't gonna work. So, <laughs> I like how you talk about yourself in, your, in the third, it's sort of the third person because you give yourself Z. But I know there's people in your life that say that to you too. So it's like you talking to yourself and probably other people <laughs> saying the same thing. When did you get to the point where you looked back on that and thought it was stupid? Like what? how, how much in retrospect did you know? did you know that that was dumb around it was maybe around five years into the marriage maybe four years or so into the marriage because he was doing his doctorate in psychology and then I was like well what do I want to do you know like I, what do I want to do now at this moment and I decided that since I could go to school at that moment that I would go and I, and I went for anthropology so that's when I got my master's in anthropology but it was a clear decision like you know anthropology culture, all of that. I was feeling withdrawal. <laughs> right, right. And you thought you would get your itch scratched by going to yeah. school. No, I was like, okay, well, I can't travel right now. So let me at least study culture. And that, yeah, that was really a time of connecting to like who I really am. You can try to be this little middle-class nine to five, work at the university type person, but it ain't gonna really work for you because you're <laughs> gonna be miserable and you're not gonna be able to even serve anybody because you're not in your true space. So that really was the time that I had to make some pivotal changes. So I went to school, I got the master's in anthropology. I started doing some more work in the community around diversity, leading lots of diversity workshops. Like I was the chick that put all the programs together for anti-racism, for all wow. of those things. And I was good at it. Like I was able to open spaces where people felt comfortable enough to talk about the hard subjects. And, I and what was that. it about you that that was a what what was it about you? Is it your Muslim faith? Is it just your your kind of world uh, cultural exposure? Like what was it about you that had you be that person? I think what they told me, like I've heard, you know, from others, is that I have a sense of acceptance. You know, I'm Muslim. I don't care if you are or not. You know, I believe that I don't care. You know, for other people, and it's just allowing people to be themselves in a space, and then also letting us, reminding us that what you believe right now is what you believe right now, and that may change. So allow yourself if you're in this space, especially for diversity work. You know, if you're in this space where you're coming in and you're trying to 
open yourself up, you know, you're trying to evolve. You have to, first of all, be truthful with where you are. So don't try to sugarcoat stuff. So I didn't allow people to like try to sit back and sugarcoat it. Oh, we didn't do all that kumbaya. You know, I, I made people <laughs> literally say the real stuff that they think in their head that they don't wow. ever want to bring out. Because in those, those anti-racism and those diversity, you start to get people that want to say the right thing. Yes. So they want to talk and they want to say the right thing just to look like, oh, I'm so enlightened or I'm really trying and this and this. And I was like, that's full. That's not, that's not going to work. You know, like if you're doing that, you're not going to actually get the true evolution that you're trying to get. And all of us are works in progress. And so we have to kind of create the safe space that allow people to be vulnerable. And I didn't allow bullying. You're not going to get upset with somebody for where they are at this moment. Like this is where they are. And that's why we're all here. So I think those things allowed me to do that. But I would say as a facilitator, you have to really be confident and comfortable in your own space yes. in order to create those types of environments for other people. Or else if I'm wishy-washy, if I can't be solid, my group, my people, they're not going to have the stability that they need to be able to go to the deeper levels. So I enjoy that type of work. And honestly, even though I don't do it in the same exact realm, I still bring all of those things into my group programs. When I'm taking trips, when I'm taking people around the world, when we're doing books, like in our meetings and our, you know, individual classes and such, the same stuff still kind of comes up. <laughs> it's weird like that, but the same stuff still kind of comes up. So it all kind of works together. Yes, totally. And I, I always felt that about you. So this is kind of fun fact, y'all. So over the last month, I've had several people of color on the show and um, several of them were my clients. Now, what you don't know is they were all in a group together with me at one point. So Zarina, Dr. Venus Opal Reese and uh, Dr. Veronica Anderson, the three of them were all in a mastermind group of like seven or eight at one point. And you were the youngest and everybody kind of called you the baby. I think you were 34, 35 or something at the time. And but you were the wisest. <laughs> you just Aww. had this, like you had this, not that like, oh, she knew so much, but it was like, you were just, you were the like abiding, like you, like unshakable sort of like, you know, you knew who you were and that was super clear. And yeah, definitely felt sort of like old soul uh, and still feel that way, but you're not so young anymore. <laughs> I know, right? I'm 41. 41. I say 42, but I'm 41. Yeah. But I think, you know, getting outside of yourself and like even what you're doing with this GFR, right? Like trying to get people to be real with themselves. Like this is the whole thing. If we are going to evolve as human beings, you cannot just coast. You have to actually do the introspection. You have to kind of like see what it is that you're doing, how it affects you. Like that thing you had me pull out, number four. I don't remember right now, but I know you told me to look at all the GFR things. And number four was about like how, what I'm dealing with or my failures or whatever, like the struggles that I have, how they serve my clients. And I see that clearly throughout my life. Like literally everything that I've gone through, my divorce, everything has brought me to some additional skills and ways that I can help my clients. I'm clear about that. So I don't even care about struggle so much. Like it's not like, oh, I shy away from it because I see the beauty within it and I see the ease within it and I see them all as true lessons. 
And if I did not have those, I definitely would not have as much of the nicely as you put it, wisdom or such now <laughs> because you you can't get it without going through some struggle. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. I always, you know, you've heard me say this, like the wormhole of the struggle is the best freaking credential in my book than any anything else. Yeah. So you're talking about GFR commitment number four, trust that your struggle serves your mission. And mm-hmm. I love that. And then the, uh, the you're also referred to the idea and the confession question that goes with that one, which is how will what I learned from this struggle serve me and my clients? Yeah. So yeah, I totally hear you. And so you mentioned your divorce. So talk to us about that and what you learned and how you feel like that does serve you now. Yeah. You know, if I'm a hundred percent honest with the divorce and things that I learned over the span of the 14 years that I was married to my ex-husband, I think I didn't live in the space of authenticity. You know, I think there were clearly things that I knew before we got married and things that I knew afterwards where either I pushed it to the side, like my whole quitting my international jobs and going to Kalamazoo, Michigan to live as a grad student. Like, (laughs) what the hell? Like, what What the hell, Z? Right, like, what the hell were you thinking? Like, literally, you were a person of the world and then you thought you could just shut that off and come and live in a grad school environment and not have some type of withdrawal like that stuff doesn't make sense but I think I felt like oh you know he's a great guy this is a smart thing to do you know do this for a moment and that just wasn't being authentic to myself and I allowed I say I allowed now because I used to have resentment like I felt like he was forcing me to do certain things, but that's actually not true. I had, I made those decisions, you know, myself to put myself in certain situations. So I would say, you know, I allowed myself to live in the spaces of untruth and things that didn't really serve me. And until it came to a moment where it was clear that this dude was not the dude for me, like it was literally like no doubt, no, oh, maybe we can work it out. Like it was just clear, like, nah, see, this dude does not, is not going to be able to support you in the way that you need to be supported. And that was around the time that my mom she got diagnosed with cancer, subsequently died. And dude was like apathetic and, and straight ghost in my mind. And I was like, oh, this is the time when I actually need you. <laughs> I, like, I need my husband now. You know, all the other times when I'm strong and I'm doing all this and I'm yes. supporting you while you're doing your work and your stuff. I was like, this is the time when I actually need you. And it, it like that, literally, I felt like my heart opened up and like God opened it up. And like a bird would fly out of a bird cage or whatever. Like that yeah. was how I felt like his, my, his heart, like just came out of my heart. Like he was gone. I had no wow. feelings anymore. It was clear. Like you're not going to hold on to this. It's not going to work for you. And I'm sure on his side, everybody has, you know, two sides to every story. So I'm sure on his side, he had his things, but on my side, I was like, yeah, this is a wrap. This is, this, this is, is done. A wrap. <laughs> This is a wrap. This is a wrap. This is done. But you know what? I tell everybody now, I tell everybody, if I had not started my business beforehand, do you understand how jacked up I would have been? Like as a single mom with three kids without having like had a solid income for myself, I would have been really, really just in a bad position. So my business that I started, even though it wasn't like 
a multi six figure business at that point and stuff. The, the foundation that I had laid, like saved my life, literally, like literally wow. saved my life. Wow. Wow. Well, and I could say, well, you could have had a corporate computer career going at that point. And wouldn't that have served you? She says, I she says, poking you in the side. <laughs> right. Yeah. I would have died in other ways. Right. Yes. I mean, <laughs> yes. I would have had some money, but I would definitely would have died in other ways. Like once you get a taste of freedom, that's kind of what I call like, you know, what I do freedom business. I cannot go back to yes. a regular nine to five position where I don't have the autonomy and the ability to work when it's good for my soul. You know, one of the things that Facebook, this is so an aside, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Like, you know how Facebook has those memories where yes. it'll pull up and it'll show you different memories. I have learned now through those memories that I have certain rhythms to the way that I work. Like there'll be times, you know, September 21st may come up and I look back at some of the other years and what my mindset was or what I was dealing with or something at that point or how I felt is the same way that I'm feeling now. And so what I'm actually trying to do, Lisa, is learn my own rhythms and mm. my own seasons and cycles so that I can actually effectively plan out my business life and then also how I do the other things in life. Because if I can get more in tune to, okay, around this time of the year, you're feeling like you don't want to do drag. Like you don't need to do it. So I know don't plan any launches at that time. Like, don't just look out and be like, oh, this is a clear plate. Like, no, like ch check in to see how my rhythm is. Yeah, girl. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. See, now that's the difference, Arena, from when we were in the space together, because I feel like at the time you had the book thing going on. And then you also were like, I want to take people on these trips. And I feel like for most of the year or more, I think that we were working together, there was sort of a schizophrenia thing going on and <laughs> that you felt like you should, like the book thing, it's like steady and it's there and I should do that. And then there's this trip thing. And, you know, and so I just, I you said I work when it's good for my soul. And then, I, and yeah. then you started talking about the rhythm thing. So I just, that makes me so freaking happy because, <laughs> and I can see, and I can see how that's like another layer of you learning about yourself, you know, through different experiences and claiming your, this is what works for me authentically. And I love hearing about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of introspection work and acceptance of self and then designing the life around what I learned. So I'm still learning, but it's fun to do it this way. <laughs> yeah. And I appreciate what you shared about the clarity they had about your divorce. I have a several good friends, <laughs> most of my good friends actually, that have been through divorce and, and tons of clients, obviously. And more common, it just seems like it just takes a really long time to finally get to the, like drawing a line in the sand. Like there's the you know, there's the awareness and then there's the, well, we should try. And yeah. then there's, oh, we tried. No, no, it's, we're done. And then there's like, we should try again. And for people that are on a spiritual path, there's often like feeling like, oh, I need to feel like I've done all I can. And, yeah. you know, I need to work on myself. And I know kind of, yeah. I think it slows down the process even more. Yeah. So I really um, find it interesting how, you know, just clear it was for you in that moment and that your mom's journey facilitated that piece of clarity. 
It was absolutely clear. And it was also in my 40th year. You know, 40 for, for many Muslims, I don't know in, in the Jewish tradition, but 40 is like a spiritual year. We believe, you know, the Prophet Muhammad, uh, certain revelations at that point, like 40, you're a, you're a grown person. So I always looked forward to turning 40, right? It was like, I, I don't have any issues about growing older. I always looked forward to turning oh, 40. Interesting. Can you and, share the thing that you you said real quickly? Because I want to learn about a Muz, uh, uh, Muhammad and uh, what is what is it? Yeah, I, mean, I was just going to say like, you know, spiritually 40 is like, uh, it, it is seen as the maturity year. It's the year that you actually become a, a full adult. So like when you're 40, like you're, you're, you're an adult adult. <laughs> and no, then what, what is the, what's the origin of the tradition of that? Or the, the, the thought behind that? You said something about Muhammad, but I didn't catch it. Some of his revelations. So some of the Quranic revelations came at that year of 40 oh. years old. So oh. like, oh. um, yeah. And so for me, I always looked forward to turning 40 I felt like it was going to be you know just a pivotal year and that's the year that my whole little life came crashing down <laughs> like, like literally everything that I thought was a pillar mom died divorced dad gets diagnosed with cancer like my son my oldest son decided he wanted to study you know overseas like literally everything shifted in that 40th year wow and, um yeah it was a little bit it was definitely, I want to say tough, but that's not a strong enough word. <laughs> it mm. wasn't like a, oh my God, you're dying the type of year, but it was like light bulb. Ding, 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 ding. It was just like, oh my God, like, oh my God, I'm learning this. Oh my God. It was just like, I was constantly learning things. It just was an opening. I'll say it that way. It was like an yeah. opening. Yeah. It was like a concentrated masterclass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Drinking water through a spiritual fire hose. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Like straight coming at me. Like, whoosh. yeah. So that's the way that year was. And the, really the last few years have been sort of like that in different ways. But now I don't really shy away from the, like the GFR thing number four. Like I don't really shy away from those things anymore because I see now that those are teaching tools and I learned from every, from every one of them. So yeah, it's been cool. Wow. Overall. Yes. Cool. Overall. I like that. That's a good quote. It's been cool overall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I love, oh, I love hearing all this. So, so as we speak, you are living with your, you and your kids are living with your father to help him through yes. his, yeah. his journey. He got sick. Even now, even now, like today, even, you know, like I was, I took him to the doctor earlier and there just comes a moment where you have to see like, what is really important? What is really actually important? You know, I watched mom die. So I watched that, you know, and so, okay, I saw all the steps that come in there. I saw all the regrets that we have about not asking enough questions beforehand and, you know, all those types of things. And so now I'm like, don't take this the wrong way. I don't want to sound morbid or whatever, but I don't know how long, you know, my father has, right? Clearly, I, none of us know how long any of us have. But with my father with a terminal illness, I definitely don't know how long he has. I had to make a decision, you know, am I going to move into his home? Am I going to put him into a home? Like, what do I think is the best thing? And my brothers uh, who are amazing, but we all have different roles. Like I'm the hands-on one. They have different roles with this too. So we decided that, well, I decided for me, it was going to be the, what did, what did you guys used to say? You say, choose your regrets, right? Choose yes. your regrets. 
And so for me, like, which one would I regret more? Would I regret being away from my father, putting him into a home, or would I regret actually being in the same space? So, and, and leaving my house, you know? So I was like, okay, well, we're going to move in. That's what we did. It wasn't like a wow. long years out thing. Literally, the half of my, my house is, I still have my house. I still have all my <laughs> I stuff like how you said, it. I kept my house for a retreat. Yeah, it's <laughs> yes, a place to go. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, like when you're a caregiver, yeah, you got to have it kind of have some time to yourself at some moments. And I'm actually a lucky caregiver because some of them don't have any time. They don't have any family member, no support at all, right? And I'm lucky that one, I have the business that I have, so I can have some flexibility there. And then two, I have some support that will come in and kind of help me. Otherwise, I, I probably would be insane. So, yeah. Yes, yes. Well, uh, at the time of the recording of this, my mom's in the hospital. I've been thinking the same thoughts around just such empathy for caregivers that are the primary, the only support and the basically sort of be putting their life on hold or transition, you know, like choosing to, you know, spend their life in that role for a significant period of time. And I know that you've had clients that we've all, I feel like we're in the type of work where we get to know these types of parts of our clients' lives. And my mom is local. And mm-hmm. so is my sister and so is, and, and my mom and my, my dad are still together uh, 50 plus years. And then my cousin, my cousin, who's also a son to her, who is a physician, uh, lives nearby. And so he's been like the medical sort of person. So I'm so yeah. grateful. Like, I don't have to pretend to have that or, yeah. or figure that shit out. And I, I have been just this week, very grateful that uh, I feel like, yeah, that I'm just, it's not all on me as yeah. the eldest and, you know, all that kind of stuff. By the time this airs, she will be uh, well on her way to making a full recovery from a car accident that she was in. And it just, it is, yeah. It's so it's very current for me in this, you know, in this moment talking with you about it. And I just have so much respect for the decision that you made. Watching mom too, I learned a lot about the importance of legacy and the importance of telling your story and leaving your story, right? And because the things that I want to ask her now, we can't ask, right? Like that's gone. What is something that you would want to ask her? I really kind of want to know more about some of the struggles that she faced in life. You know, my mom was a teenage mom, so she was uh, 16 when she had my brother my grandmother helped raise him. So she didn't miss a beat. She went to college. She didn't miss a beat as far as that goes. But I wonder just about about her own struggles, about the regrets that she has. And I wish that I captured more of her stories for the kids, for my kids, so that they could actually read something. Like why I'm in books now, because somebody asked me the other day, they were like, like, why do you do all that book stuff when you could just be traveling and doing all the fun stuff? Like, why are you doing the book stuff? And I was <laughs> like, for me, it's about legacy and it's about capturing our stories and leaving those things because none of us are promised tomorrow. And I wish I had a book that my great grandmother wrote or like my my mother, you know, like that's priceless. <laughs> like yes. that is absolutely priceless. So I know a lot of people, you know, I have clients that, that put out their books to build their businesses and all of that. And I love doing those books as well. But when I really think about like why I think God made me be in the book world, it's around the legacy piece and it's around the 
living history piece and it's the capturing the story piece. And I feel like that's why. And when I watched mom, you know, go through that, I, I recognized like the importance of the legacy. Like my kids asked, well, what, what about grandma? Like, what did she, what did she do? Da, da, da. And some stuff I know, but some stuff I don't. Right. And it's not that one book would solve it all, but it's definitely a beautiful thing that we could give to you know, my children. So now my dad, so that's a regret, you know, from mom's side, yes. right? Like we didn't, we didn't write down her full story or anything. I just have little tiny snippets. And now it would be dumb for me to have my father in the situation that he's in. And then I not capture his story. You know what I'm saying? Like that's yes. stupid. That's ignorant. If you learn something, you see something, you need to correct <laughs> it. So I'm looking at him. And so now we we created a whole book about sitting at the feet of the elders. So we wow. interviewed, I interviewed uh, about 40 other Black Muslim elders oh. about the wow. the things that they went through, spirituality, being Muslim in America, all of that. And so we've captured like a compilation of their stories and we're going to put that out next year. So like for me, it's, those things are priceless. And you can't really put a, like, oh, what's the value of this? Like, oh my God, like, it's just, you can't even conceive of how that makes my clients feel when they're able to do that for their people. And then for us to be able to capture those things. So yeah, legacy, history, all of those things kind of all come together, if you will. Absolutely. Yes. And I love seeing how you have kind of come back to the book business from just a, such a grounded, rooted, clear purpose, like no nonsense. I'm not messing with you. This isn't about a book to, it's your business card, you know, or to build your business. Like for you, it is so much deeper than that. And I know that your clients feel that. And that's why you've been so successful. And that you're also finding your rhythm, discovering your rhythm and honoring the, the travel bug. So where are you off to next? Yeah, I, I just decided was it today or yesterday? I'm not gonna... <laughs> Yo, that's how she rolls. That's how she rolls. I just decided. <laughs> yeah, spontaneous, you know, but I decided I want to restart my monthly membership for women around travel. Around oh, That sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. You know, my inboxes are always full of people asking questions about designing their life, about, you know, these things I do. I have these like little things that I sometimes share with others. Like I call it victory 90, but basically it's just the whole thing as far as goal setting and then using 90 day chunks, right? So I call it victory 90. And sometimes when I share with other people what I'm doing, they're like, oh, I want to do it too. So anyway, yeah, I decided I'm going to relaunch my membership program for women called Luminary. And it is going to be for women who are anthropological, meaning they love culture, they love the world, but they also want to learn learn more about themselves at the same time. So it'll be business, all of that. But we're going to go to um, Tanzania next year. And every trip, we always do some type of custom service project, some way to give back. So I connected the other day with a, a organization around women's health, maternal health and, and menstrual pads and things that keep girls out of school with these like, what? People still don't go to school when they have their period? Like what? Like, you know, things like that. Like, yeah, yeah wow. It happens so many places. So I'm super excited about this. And I literally... I don't think, I think it was today or yesterday, I decided that I was going to relaunch this program. And 
the thing I want to say about that real quick right now is that I accept that for myself, like my business is art. And what I mean by that is that there are projects that are going to come to me and I'm not going to just put them to the side just because, oh, like you're doing this or you're doing this. Like there are certain things that, that are supposed to come through me. And when I view my business as my art, I am more lenient with myself. I'm more gentle with myself. I can create it. And then when I create that project, I don't have to live with it for 15, 20 years. Like I made that canvas. <laughs> it's mm. out there. And I can go on and paint the next canvas. You know, no one says Van Gogh could only paint one painting. And that's the only one he could do in his whole life. That was your mission, Van Gogh. Paint that one. You know, like, nah, dude, he, he painted tons. So that's the way I see my business going now. And that was a big shift for me because I kind of felt like, oh, you don't leave a business till you get it to, to multi-seven figures. When you get it to multi-seven, then you can go do something else. And now I'm like, you know, what feels good for me and, you know, as long as I can pay my bills and live my life and be location independent, <laughs> I'm good. Oh, oh, my gosh. It makes me so happy to hear. Oh, my. I just love I love I love this version of you, my friend. I love the older version the, or the younger version, <laughs> the old, younger version. Um, right, I right. really just so. Uh, inspired by this version my business is art and that has helped that statement has helped you flow with things that are supposed to come through you and i love the way that you're holding that and i think that's going to help a lot of people because i'm all about surrender and flow and i've learned that my create my business is my creativity it's the same it's the same mm -hmm. the essence is the same but the, I believe that what you, my business is, my art is going to help a lot of people because it's it's uh, going to help them hold it in a different way. Yeah. 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 This has been an amazing experience. Oh, thank you, Lisa. For me too. It's always cool that I actually get, it's introspective, right? Like when I talk about myself, I'm like, wow, that's how you think. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Externalize that wisdom, my friend, externalize it. <laughs> yeah it's cool it's really cool thank you so much you're very welcome it's been an absolute pleasure hey hey that was z y'all isn't she just amazing oh my gosh so i'm super excited about her freebie that she has for our, the audience which is the complete self-publishing checklist so that link is in the show notes and if you are in our gfr squad she does a special training called, how do I start my book? <laughs> she said, this is the question that she gets asked the most. So she does a really power packed training for the GFR squad. So if you aren't a member yet, perhaps this will inspire you to be a member. This and all the other amazing bonus trainings that our guests gift our squad members, you can go to gfr.life forward slash squad. And her favorite GFR commandment was number four, trust that your struggle serves your mission. And if you do not have your 12 GFR commandments yet, you will want to go to gfr.life forward slash 12C, and you will get your beautiful PDF of your commandments and some instructions on how to find the one that will make the biggest impact in your life now. We call it your roadmap to getting real. So if you want to get real, get the GFR commandments. And then please 
subscribe to the show so that you don't miss any other amazing stories. If you're new to us, I'm so glad you're here. And I would love for the other inspirational, mind-blowing, motivational stories to get to your ear holes. So please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. I will see you soon.